Today's podcast is brought to you by LBH PR Co., a boutique public relations and communications agency promoting the products and stories of burgeoning lifestyle brands and notable entrepreneurs. Launched in 2013 by Lauren Hopkins, LBH is a skilled team of devoted publicists with seasoned industry expertise, genuine connections, and a true passion for client success. Their thoughtful approach and meaningful outreach campaigns cultivate impactful media, influencer, and brand relations to deliver results and position clients for long-term success. With a focus on a personable rapport, polished communications, and memorable moments, LBH makes a PR investment worthwhile. Follow them on Instagram at lbhprco, online at www.lbhprco.com, or connect with the team by emailing hello at lbhprco.com. Thank you so much, ladies, for sponsoring. Everyone, I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the podcast. I am so happy that you're here. I'm so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Sally Holder, founder of The Brim. Uh, This is one that you guys are really going to want to listen in on, okay? If you are on a walk or perhaps you're driving, I just want to say you might want to listen to this when you have a moment to just sit down with a pen and paper. That's how much we unpack in today's episode. Sally brought so many incredible tangible takeaways, and I'm so grateful that she would share her wisdom with us. I was actually writing notes when I was editing this episode, thinking about different entities that she talked on and how we could implement it into HSDT. So this is one you're really going to want to focus in on and unpack. Before we dive in, I want to share a little bit of an update in regard to all things How'd She Do That? We have so many exciting things happening this summer and fall. You guys, we have episodes through the end of the year, and we currently have all of our sponsorships set up through the end of the year as well. We're thinking creatively over here how we can continue to get more content your way, how we can open up more sponsorships, um, and that's just going to be something we're going to continue to unpack because we hate to turn away uh, businesses who want to support and want to partner with us. So we're going to figure that out for you guys. And I so appreciate your patience as we grow. It's crazy. It's so exciting and so much fun. I wanted to also share a quick thank you. We had two listeners who decided to partner with us by supporting us monthly this weekend. It's always amazing when I get notifications like that. Uh, And I wanted to share because that's a great option for those of you who listen to the podcast regularly and want to support and want to continue to see HSDT thrive and grow. All of that support, of course, goes directly back into HSDT. And you can find that link in our bio at How'd She Do That podcast. And if you're interested in hearing more from Sally, she actually has her own podcast called Hitting Rock Middle. And her most recent episode is with Margie Adzik, previous HSDT guest and founder of Addison Bay. So be sure to check out her podcast after listening to her here. Here is Sally Holder on How'd She Do That. 
Today's guest, Sally Holder, is the founder of The Brim, a premier business coaching community for entrepreneurs. Upon graduating from law school, Sally practiced law for many years before switching gears and has since become a best-selling author, business coach, and podcaster that helps female entrepreneurs double their revenue while decreasing their time spent working in their business. Sally's work, whether one-on-one or group coaching or at speaking events, gives entrepreneurs a structured approach to reach their full potential and creating exponential revenue growth. The Brim fundamentally believes that anyone can reach exponential levels of success when they are given the tools to make it happen. When Sally isn't working with clients, prepping for an upcoming speaking engagement, or encouraging ladies like us, she is likely traveling or enjoying time with her family which includes her two kiddos. Sally, welcome to How'd She Do That? Thank you, Emily. I am so excited to be here and to get to talk to you for a little while and chat all things business. Oh, yes. Well, likewise. And it was fun to just touch base a little bit before we started recording. Um, And I was reminiscing on being able to meet you at the Southern Sea. So to be able to share your story today, I have been so eager to do so. And as always with our episodes, we kind of like to start from the beginning to get to know you a little bit better. So let's dive in. How about you tell us where did you go to school and what did you major in? Sure. I went to undergraduate at Vanderbilt University, and I actually majored in human and organizational development. Um, It's a fascinating degree. Um, Vanderbilt actually did not have a business degree at the time. So what all of us went into, um, if we really wanted to be pursuing business, um, but it offered a really great experience from interning at a corporation and being able to evaluate their organizational effectiveness to understanding the psychology of the human brain. Um, And we even took a public speaking class. So it was very diverse, um, Mm. but really relevant information for even what I do today. So right off the bat, it's so interesting because when I ask that question, sometimes people surprise me with their major. Your major does not surprise me at all because like you said, it ties in so well with what you're doing currently. How did you, what is it that kind of pointed you in the right direction so early on? Was business something you've always been interested in? And and perhaps when did you kind of start to think about it? Yeah, so it, business was always something I was intrigued by. I think um, kind of ha- the why behind people's decisions, um, mm. you know, how people made certain businesses a reality, how they grew their businesses to a certain point. Um, everyone in my family is an entrepreneur. And so I watched my dad build his business, my uncles, my grandfather. And so um, I was always really intrigued by entrepreneurship. So I think that that's what made this degree a real logical choice for me. Mm. What's funny is that after graduating, I really, that is when I strayed from um, (laughs) my pursuit of business and ended up going directly from undergrad to law school. So in law school, I luckily found 
um, labor law and employment law. And so I was able to eventually weave in my undergrad degree um, Mm -hmm. with a specialization in labor and employment litigation. So that's ultimately the area that I focused on um, in my practice. um, And I did that for 10 years after law school. So I always told people it's everything having to do with the employer-employee relationship. Mm -hmm. So it really built upon my degree. I just didn't realize that it ever would. Um, But it's funny how life takes those twists and turns. Um, So I spent a decade really advising companies on, um, you know, everything from the development of their employee handbooks to, um, you know, leave uh, periods to uh, complying with the FMLA to, um, you know, your general employment contracts, non-compete agreements, all of those that are really necessary in the work environment and really today necessary for a small business owner to be able to understand. So um, the only difference was I worked with really large corporations like FedEx was my client, Michelin. Um, I worked with... um, so many, uh, Valero oil company, um, really large corporations. Um, so it's nice now to have the opportunity to work with small business owners, which is really ultimately my passion. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, you went really macro on us with, with 10 (laughs) years in law with those ginormous companies. And it's so fun to hear you mention how that really built on your major and and gosh, going to law school. I mean, those of you who are listening and are not familiar with Sally's work, um, it's quite impressive what she's doing now. And to add in that law degree is such a fun twist for those of us who may know what you're up to now and, and might not know that portion and season of your life. But like you mentioned, such great foundation for you to step into ultimately what you're doing now. Now, that 10-year span, I mean, that's that's a large chunk of your career. And I would guess at that point when you're looking to make a transition, I mean, you tell us, what did it look like to part with law? I, I don't think that would be easy. It was a very bumpy, very messy, very emotional transition. Right. I am not going to lie about that. Oh, wow. um, you know, I I had a very hard time leaving my practice, I think, for so many different reasons. Um, in fact, this is what much of my book is about, Hitting mm. Rock Middle. Um, the realization that you know, when you were at a place of success and, you know, I had earned awards and of course I had this additional degree and commitment, um, to my practice and clients and, um, you know, just so much was on the line. I understand what it's like to find out that it's not very fulfilling, Mm. right. And that you want to create a change from that place. Doing so is really hard for anyone else outside yourself Mm. to understand. And so anytime I tried to pursue right counseling or advice, they would always tell me to go and open up my law practice or all of the options that were provided to me by other people all related to law. And that was the Mm. one thing I knew I didn't want to do. (laughs) And so I always found it really frustrating. And honestly, it made it just so scary. Mm. Um, Because not many people had a very open mind with what opportunities would exist for for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... 
you know, I realized, gosh, there are a lot of books out there that are giving people direction on how to pull themselves up from the bootstraps and get their life back together. Mm -hmm. And then there are a lot of books out there talking about how to maybe exit your company or, you know, um, retire, but there wasn't a lot for those of us in the middle right? Mm. Um, When we'd hit kind of a snag in our career saying, this isn't what I want to do anymore. Mm. And how do I make this kind of pivot? And how do I transition to something else that would be equally successful or build upon the success that I have, Mm. but maybe in a totally different industry? Mm. You know, I wasn't the same person at 36 that I was at even 26. Um, And I started my law practice when I was 24. So I was really young and, um, you know, I had changed quite a bit. So I was ready for my career to change too. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of, lot of tears involved. Um, Mm. but finally at one point I put my name out there enough to other Mm. people to say, Hey, this isn't what I want to do anymore that I finally started to get offers and opportunities um, somewhat outside the practice of law. My transition from, you know, full-time practice um, was actually into being the chief operating officer of a law firm. So that was a really great transition because I learned how to run a company and how to operate it and how to manage other people and lead them and, you know, give raises and all of the things that you need to do as an entrepreneur. Um, So that was tremendously helpful. But I think it all started obviously with me just going through that emotional change and then one day deciding, you know what, what do I have to lose? I'm not happy doing what I'm doing now Um, Mm. and beginning to share that with other people that I wanted a change. Well, I love it. And I, and I know listeners are probably, I'm over here nodding my head. <laughs> you would see I'm, I'm nodding my head and whatnot. But but I think that's so interesting because again, like you said, and you said this so eloquently in that it would be hard for people, and I know this is really some of what your book focuses on, it would be hard for people to understand from the outside looking in, Sally, what are you doing? You have a successful law you know, experience and career and you can move forward in that direction. But for you, you really recognize, this is not what I want to do anymore. And I love that you, it seems as though the, the pivot in and of itself, how smart to stay within a law firm, continue to make those changes. And then I am, I'm really curious because I did mention you, you have a family. What's happening in your personal life in in this specific season? By that point, I had two small children. So I had, um, let's see, a one-year-old and a, an almost four-year-old. So basically one in three. Um, so right. That was some of the impetus for change too. And that Mm. desire to have more control over Mm. my career. And, you know, what was really offered to me, by my law firm at the time was to go part-time. And I didn't really want less work or less of a challenge. I wanted, in fact, more of a challenge. I wanted to do something that challenged me personally and professionally, but I just wanted to have it on my own terms, right? Mm -hmm. Not dictated entirely by someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that model or that structure just didn't fit me anymore as I continued to evolve in my career. And that's kind of what I was trying to tell them. And I think at that time, um, I, you know, we only gained this by hindsight. I wasn't Mm. able to really eloquently describe it to them. Mm. Um, But 
you know, as with anything, you know, some things belong in your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And that was just, you know, probably for a reason and a season, but definitely Mm -hmm. not a lifetime. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I I love what you're sharing because I think a lot of women can relate in that there might be an offer as a young mother to to do, you know, part-time and and to, you know, have both entities moving. But for your point, it's it's like, well, I, I still want to be challenged. I still I don't want less work. And so what can it be that that I might step into? So tell me this, because it's so fun to continue to hear more about your career and ultimately the trajectory that that we're getting to and what you're doing now. How long was that season and stint? And what was the next step for you as you continued to kind of hone in on what it is you're doing now? So after about two years with that company, mm-hmm. you know, I had come in at a time where uh, the owner was not present very often. And so there was a lot of cleanup that had to be done. And so um, I created a lot of organizational structure and, um, put a lot of other kind of independent contractors and relationships in place that just needed to be there. They kind of had grown rapidly and had not caught up um, with the corporate structure. Um, And so once I did that over the course of two years, everything was just running very smoothly. And so I, again, wanted a new challenge. Um, I think you can see the pattern here. Um, And um, I actually had an opportunity then to um, help run a sales organization. And so I did that for um, a period of time. And then I worked as the COO of a retail company. And then I did the same work with a real estate company. And so I ended up working with six different companies over the course of about the next six years, um, kind of serving in that COO role in various industries. Um, But it gave me a really beautiful way to experience, um, you know, how each, whether you're a product-based business or a service-based business, Mm -hmm. how each of them needs to approach um, the growth of a business. And, um, you know, once I had that experience, I then fortunately was approached by a female owned company that said, Hey, would you coach us to do this? We can't bring you on as an employee, but we would love to hire you kind of to coach us to execute what you've been doing for these previous companies. And I always said, gosh, if the right opportunity came along, I would love to do that. Um, and it did. Um, and so that was the really natural progression into coaching. It wasn't something that I had really planned. Um, but once that, once I had that experience, I just couldn't let it go. Um, I loved it. I loved being able to connect with female entrepreneurs. And um, after that, that was when I transitioned into doing one-on-one coaching all exclusively with female entrepreneurs. And so I was working with companies throughout the country, um, helping them grow their business, really focused on that. And a lot, I would say as well with their organizational structure, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they were looking to grow and they just hadn't yet and couldn't figure out what the missing piece was. Um, so we really helped to identify that. Um, and then from there, that's when I began to evolve into um doing more group coaching, realizing, gosh, there are some 
themes that really exist here amongst mm. all of these entrepreneurs that I'm working with one-on-one. Um, and I thought to myself, how magical would it be if they could see they weren't alone? Mm. If they could see, gosh, there are so many more women out there that are struggling with exactly what I'm struggling with. Mm. And they need help and support too. Um, and then I began to really research and realize, my gosh, women actually grow their businesses faster when they do it in a community. Um, the studies show that women grow their businesses two and a half times faster when they do it in a collective community experience. And so, um, and that's when I created what is now called, and it's gone through several iterations through the years, (laughs) but it's now called, um, the revenue accelerator. Hmm. And so that is my, um, number one focus, my baby, if you will, um, (laughs) being able to help women scale their businesses to seven and eight figures. Oh my gosh. Well, all of it is so exciting. And I love just so many points that you just shared, but tell me this, what year was it that you formally stepped into coaching? What year was that? Oh gosh. Um, it was 2018. Okay. It yeah. was in, let's see. I think it was actually in May, May or June of 2018. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I always love to ask because I'm always so surprised. I mean, 2018, that's not that long ago. So to see what you've built and the women that you've helped in massive ways and and again with your book and and with all that you're doing, it's it's really impressive. But not only that, that you would have laid the foundation, and I think this is such an encouragement, at least it's a takeaway I'm I'm receiving from this conversation, which would be you had the experience, you had the the time in corporate America, you had all of the tools to when the timing was appropriate for you and for clients, coaching was a natural step for you. It was it was a natural kind of entity for people to look to you for your expertise and your experience and say, Sally, can, can you help us? You know, what does this look like? I'm, I'm so curious, when you got started and when you were actually coaching and doing those one-on-one what was the the moment? I mean, you're seeing these themes of you know similar conversations, your similar struggles and situations with ladies. What was it that made you realize, oh, I, I could do them, I could do it together? What, was there a specific moment that you kind of figured that out, or were there ladies that connected and you thought, hey, do you guys want to chat together? I'm just so curious how how that came into the fold. Yeah. So, um, I am just a natural, um, researcher. I mean, I love it. It's bizarre. (laughs) I I think that that was what I, the attorney in you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, um, it really, I say is two things. Um, one is that I was consistently reassuring women on these one-on-one calls that they were not alone. Mm. And so that, just that point alone, um, and and the the repetition of that point led me to say, okay, I need to figure out what it is that women need so that they don't feel alone in this, and what specifically needs to be created for them, what container needs to exist so that that we can eliminate that feeling of loneliness that exists in entrepreneurship. So that was one. And then 
the commonalities that existed with the issues was the second part Mm. um, that really kind of drove me to feeling like this is something that could benefit multiple women simultaneously. And um, because our mission really at the brim is to create more female millionaires, right? It's simple. It's straightforward. Why? Because that gives us incredible power as women business owners and only 2% of female business owners right now are grossing more than a million dollars. And so that number is atrocious. It's so low. And I think that we, the, you know, you can look at women like, you know, um, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife and see what women do with more money in their hands. Mm -hmm. We solve massive problems, right? She has given away half her net worth to charities, which is, I think they said triple what he has ever given in his life. And she's done so in just the first couple of months that she's had this money. Yeah. So we look at what women are capable of doing when we have more money in our hands, when we have more power, you know, it, it, what is it? Gandhi, I think said that the Western woman will change the world. And Mm. I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that starts with us, you know, realizing that, we can create these million dollar businesses and that they can be easier than we originally thought possible. Um, So the three commonalities that I really noticed were lack of confidence in Mm. our ability. Women just tend to have that as more of our fundamental DNA Mm. um, that we you know, tend to have a little bit more fear or hesitancy. And so all of those naturally go into that confidence bucket. Mm. Um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's studies in the book Lean In talks about it ad nauseum, you know, how yeah. women have to have 98% of the characteristics on a job application for them to actually apply, whereas men only yep. have to have about 40%. Well, you can imagine and extrapolate that information into the entrepreneurial sector and realize, wow, you know, if that applies to a corporate setting, it very much would apply in the entrepreneurial setting when we go after potential clients, right? Mm. We believe that we have to be a huge fundamental match, that we have to have everything already in our back pocket mm-hmm. rather than learning with our clients as we go. So confidence is one. The second is clarity, right? Mm. Um, Where are we headed and what is the actual destination? And is that well-defined, right? Um, I think clarity is a big issue because we tend to put ourselves last. Um, You know, society in general benefits from women believing that we shouldn't put ourselves first, Mm. um, right? That we should take care of everyone else, that we should take care of our kids and family and unit and society and the rest before we decide what we deserve. Um, And so I would say 99%, 99 99.9% of the women (laughs) that I talk to um, have clarity, lack of clarity as an issue, right? Where Mm -hmm. am I headed? What kind of business am I actually creating, right? What are my revenue streams? What are they going to look like? How am I going to make money? Um, 
you know, if I were to wave a magic wand five years from now, where is it that I want the business to be? Mm. Um, Instead, what we tend to do is operate from the here and now and begin to move forward. Um, The reason why that doesn't work is that it leaves us very focused on the day-to-day tactics Mm -hmm. versus the overall vision. Um, When we are not focused on the vision as business owners, no one is. Um, therefore it makes the vision of what we would like to happen a lot less likely, Mm. um, because we have to get there through intentional actions. And most of us aren't doing that on a day-to-day basis. So I help women really reconfigure the way that they approach their business. Fundamentally, um, we restructure what they're doing on a daily basis. And then that leads into the third aspect of the foundation, um, that we help them build, which is their calendar. Mm-hmm. right? How do you dominate time, right? We all have the same 24 hours. So how are you currently using yours? Where do you need to be spending it in order to maximize your revenue? Um, and many women actually um, focus it instead on how can I simply make my clients happy and believing that the rest will take care of itself. And so I will overperform for my clients. I will overserve. Wow. And when we do that, we tend to um, right, have far less time to be able to work um, on the business instead of just in it. Um, we're constantly working in it and never working on it. And so, again, we reconfigure the calendar to prioritize the, the structure of the company and working on it. So. Those three things are exactly how my coaching program begins um, with those foundational elements and everyone gets all of the tools necessary to make the foundation of their business work um, to their favor. Oh my gosh. It's a very long-winded answer, so I apologize. (laughs) Literally, I'm over here taking notes and listener, I hope you're doing the same because everything you just said, I'm, I'm sitting over here thinking, this is me. This is my life. This is everything she's yeah. saying is so true. And and I love to, and, and just from, from a, a short portion of what you just shared, but maximizing the revenue. At, but I think so many people can relate to your example of over, um, you know, overworking for clients or, or, you know, really, really wanting people to be pleased. So going above and beyond, but in going above and beyond, we're not working on the business, we're in it. And so you you get weighed down like that. Now, I love that you are sharing how you're assisting, you know, women becoming millionaires and, and making sure that their revenue is, is much higher than I think they would even likely expect. A question I have for you, when you receive um, an update from clients, or perhaps you have a new client coming in, I think a lot of us think of, you know, revenue for a business in a way that it's like, oh, well, product is probably how you become a millionaire with a business, you know, oh, I need to sell a a million of this. And then that, or or maybe that's my kind of small minded thought with that. What would you say in regard to, because you've worked with product, you've worked with service. What's maybe the percentage of your clients that are really, really high performing um, in regard to product or service, or, or do they step into both entities? I'm really curious what your thoughts are on that. I always tell people it's 50-50, okay. right? It may not be exactly 50-50 in the coaching program at the moment, but right. it is exactly how I approach it. Um, you know, there are fundamental things that are true for both product and service-based businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, how you ultimately grow them, um, 
will differ slightly. Um, you know, with a service-based business, you kind of have two main things that you're selling, right? Your mm-hmm. knowledge or your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my always first thing is to get them away from selling their time mm. because time is limited, yes. right? And it is, you can only raise your prices yep. so much. And believe me, every single person listening on this call right now could increase their prices by 10% across the board and wow. never have any pushback from clients. So if you have not done that in the last year, here's your permission slip. Go and do that now. Love it. Um, it will substantially increase your revenue. Um, and um, it will increase your gross margin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, um, no, we want to focus so much more on the knowledge that you have, right? And the value that you provide as a service-based business and figure out how we can monetize that in such a way that it can be either delivered by other people that you add to your team, how it can be delivered in a way that is shared one to many versus one to one. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to look at, um, you know, how we can put it into a format that might be a product, right? Whether mm. that's something like an online course or a download or a, um, you know, most of those are going to be like your low ticket items and entry point mm-hmm. into beginning to work with you. And I think not enough service-based businesses are taking advantage of that, right? Mm-hmm. They either have their core product offering, which is themselves, or they have a very high ticket offering, which is themselves either way, depending on how they have ramped up. Um, and they're failing to take advantage of right that entry point offer, that lower ticket item that many people can take advantage of um, and access if they cannot afford to work with them, you know, individually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always getting them to really examine as a service-based business, what's your customer journey? What does it look like? Um, you know, how are people coming into your sales funnel? Are they, you know, do you have all three really core offerings? We all ought to have three, you know, you may not be growing all three simultaneously. And Mm -hmm. I most of the time wouldn't advise that focus on one of them, but you can still have the others exist. Right. Um, but you can focus on the growth of, you know, one of them at a time. Um, and the, core offering that you have ought to be something that is, again, um, replicatable, duplicatable by other people on your team. Um, A fantastic way to do that is by creating, you know, a methodology or Mm -hmm. a, um, you know, core uh, offering that does not, um, that is not 100% based on you. So let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. Like, Let's say someone on here is an interior designer, right? Mm -hmm. They're very service-based. However, the actual designer being involved, right, could be elevated to the position of being the high-ticket offer, right? Very Mm. exclusive, very infrequently accessed as the individual. But the core offering might be her methodology, right? The way that she evaluates a room, the way that she figures out how to place furniture, the, you know, um, the 
you know, core colors that she loves at the moment for these particular rooms. And that is the core offering that can be delivered by anyone else on the team, wow. right? And so that it can be at a core price point that many people can pay for and, you know, but they're still getting her expertise um, that is then delivered by someone else that helps you leverage your knowledge, right? And mm-hmm. so we're not just selling time for money, but we're actually leveraging the many years of knowledge and expertise that that individual has as a service-based provider. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm like, I, I see how you're saying, you know, we can get here. We can get here, ladies. <laughs> we can get to that, that mark. Oh my gosh. No. Okay. You just mentioned, and this is a, a very detailed question, but when you say, you know, and for, to the example of the interior designer, she's the high ticket offering. What, what would you recommend? I mean, is that, that's a price point of if, I'm getting really practical here, but if you wanted her specifically to come to your home or to or to work with you, that's going to be where the high ticket is. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, you, I can't come up with a, a price point right, right. exactly, but I think, um, you know, what I tell people all the time is the numbers don't lie, mm. right? At the end of the day, when you say to yourself, I want to walk away with, right, X, Y, and Z amount of money, mm-hmm. right? 200,000, a million dollars, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. then that amount of money, you can back into that number, right? Mm-hmm. At, absolutely. By saying, okay, this is what I have to take home in order for all of the risk, the hard work, the time away, the years of experience and, and the failures and the tears and all of it to be worth it. Mm-hmm. It is this amount of money that I want to take home. Then then you begin to ask yourself, okay, now let me determine what is the amount of revenue that I would have to generate mm-hmm. in order for me to walk away with this amount of take home, right? Mm-hmm. So if my, you know, I want my net profit to be a million dollars, then my overall gross revenue, we're just getting into the weeds here, but yes. this is what I teach <laughs> I love you it. in I love it. the middle section, which is the focus, right? We talked all about the foundation. Yes. In the focus section, we really hone in on your pricing. So I walk everyone through people, products, and pricing. Um, and that is what we have to really begin to focus in on. So in that pricing structure, we're talking about, you know, your overall um, operating expenses and what those have to be or what they will be at this level of business, right? If you're generating $3 million, this is what your operating expenses will likely be leaving you this net profit. So, you know, we're really running all of these projected numbers together so that we can figure out what you have to charge, right? Wow. In order for that to be your reality. And again, people tend to simply set an amount, forget it, and then go and perform all of the work and never go back and look at what their actual expenses were yeah. with relation to performing that work. How many hours did you spend, right? What did you have to pay someone else to get involved, you know, editors or Mm -hmm. designers or whatever the heck? Yeah. Um, What did it actually cost you to do that work? And what were you actually left with, 
Because again, too many entrepreneurs sit back and they say, oh, well, right, this is just what I have and this is what I got paid. And I'm yep. like, no, there, there is no, oh, well, right? <laughs> it just tells me we didn't dig into our numbers in advance enough. We didn't anticipate, right? Uh, they're always going to be unexpected expenses, but they mm-hmm. shouldn't be in like the $100,000 range, right. right? They should be in like the $5,000 range. Like, <laughs> and so you can, you know, maybe you end up with 995000 or whatever, mm-hmm. but you're okay with that. Um, and so I, I really think it's critical that we get more intimate with our numbers and know exactly how to create the type of revenue that we want to end up with. And when you do that, that's what I mean by the numbers don't lie, right? You can then turn down people who are not a fit for you. And you can say to them, I am so sorry, $10,000, my high ticket offer Mm -hmm. is the going rate for a month's worth of work with me. And if that's not okay with you, I cannot afford Mm. to do it for less. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to know that you cannot afford it is what the consequence of accepting a $5,000 job would do to your overall net profit, right? Wow. Because if you're actually suffering and you're saying, you know what, I'm never, the consequence of me taking a $5,000 job, even though you're maybe glad to have it, would be you're not going to reach your monetary goals. Wow. Your family will not get the revenue, no more vacation, right? Mm-hmm. No more X, Y, and Z. And yet we don't look at it that way often enough. Mm. Um, we just say, oh, I should be grateful. I'm so glad that I have a job. She's willing to pay me, so I should say yes. Like, um, Oh, well, this will benefit me and it will help me grow. I mean, sometimes, yes, but that's not always actually true. Um, You know, it sometimes is a benefit, but majority of the time, it is just going to suck up more of your most valuable resource. And that's your time. And that time could have been spent generating five more of your $10,000 clients instead of serving a client that was less than your most ideal client. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, talk about clarity. Oh my gosh. I'm getting some (laughs) over here. Okay, Sally, for real. Now, what I think is really cool, something that you just shared, and I think I just have to pinpoint it, and and maybe it's for myself to listen back to and, and remember, but the fact that you help clients map all of this out, all that you're sharing, so that they have the tools that when that no to a $5,000 client, a, a smaller you know um, level that they're trying to, to pitch to you, you are able to come back confidently and say, I cannot do that because you know what you're losing. And I love that you're able to go into those details and gosh, talk about confidence. I mean, to have the confidence to say no. I think that many of us, many of those of you who are listening, you can relate to, well, I I got another client. Yay. Even if it's at a lesser price point, but for you to have the ability to have the tools, to have the details in your business and understanding of what you need to reach your goals, saying no would be easier. It would be a lot easier to be able to say, no, this is the going rate and I'm so sorry to have to you know, pass or perhaps we can work together at another time. But I just think I, I've never unpacked it in the way that you just did. So thank you. That That is amazing. And it, it's so fun to continue to hear just all of the work that you're putting in and, and assisting with your clients. Now, I would love to know this. I'd be curious to know, are there any instances throughout your career that you'd maybe say failure helped shape it? Oh, gosh. 
Yes. I mean, what I tell entrepreneurs, you know, in the revenue accelerator every day is I fail often. Hmm. Right. And I love the quote, um, you know, if you're not embarrassed by your first iteration, you started too late. Hmm. And so, you know, my first iterations of all of the things that I'm doing now were terrible. Um, (laughs) And I continue to fail every day. I continue to try different things. But what that allows me to do is to continue to grow and take risks. And as we were in our Monday meeting with my team this morning, you know, I was emphasizing to them again that I am fine with any of you failing. Right. I want that to be absolutely okay. And so I set that as a company culture. I emphasize it with them over and over. Wow. What I'm not okay is that you assuming that something um, would be, you know, impossible for us and, um, you know, outside the bounds or something like that. And immediately not trying. Oh, um, wow. It, it is to me, the failure only comes when we fail to try. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of days where, you know, I've tried multiple times in a row. And then that afternoon, I have to take the afternoon off to write, cry a bit or read a book (laughs) or something, right, to let the emotions out. But I'm still building the muscle, right, of getting used to failure. I Hmm. think it is so important because, the more you can get used to taking risks and them working out or not, and that you're not attached to the outcome of one thing you're trying because no success will come as a result of one thing, right? Mm. Your overall company success is never going to hinge on one thing. Mm. It doesn't. And so try anything, try and fail often, Um, take risks, take investment risks, right? Um, Do wild and crazy things and you will always come away with a lesson Mm. um, no matter what, if that is what you are looking for. Mm. And if you are becoming more and more um, accustomed to, you know, that muscle of taking risks. Um, I mean, my specific recent failure, um, I, I can't think of something off the bat. Um, I love I'm that like, you would. I love that you would go there, though. That that's that's a first yeah. for for a guest today. Okay, most recent. I love that, Sally. That is so cool. <laughs> I love it. It will too. Yeah, just just the fact that, and I I have to say, I wrote this down. Failure comes when you fail to try. And I think that's yeah. that's one of my. I mean, that might be the biggest takeaway from from our time together today. It's like, yes, absolutely. And and I love that you're sharing lessons that that you've learned and, and that you're continuing to learn. What what would you say is maybe the greatest lesson you've learned? Mm, I think the greatest probably is that concept that ready isn't real. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. There's no point at which you're ever going to be ready, right? You're never going to know everything. You're never going to have it all together. You're never going to feel 100% ready. Mm. So, you know, stop searching for ready that mm. moment. Um, instead, go for it now and learn along the way. That will get you far more uh, success and experience than searching for readiness. 
Oh my gosh. I think, I think someone needs to just pause and take a deep breath. Ah, that's so true. Ready isn't real. That's so, so true. Oh my gosh. There, Sally, there's so many takeaways from this conversation. I'm, I'm like, oh, um, but I do, I know that you have so much, you, you have so many clients. You, you recently had an, a fabulous event and, and you're constantly speaking and, and traveling and, and updating women in regard to how they can continue uh, to pursue their passions, but ultimately um, make the, the revenue that they're looking to generate with their business. And, and you're doing so much. So I say all of that to ask you what's next for you. So I'm really focused on the revenue accelerator right now um, to change that percentage that I referenced at the beginning of 2%. Um, And I am also, um, we are going to begin doing some pop-up workshops around the country. So that's kind of a a reveal just for you and your listeners. Um, We haven't revealed that on social or anywhere um, yet, but we have many cities around the country um, in the works. So we'll be coming to hopefully a city near you and um, give women an opportunity to do some of this work um, in person for an afternoon, for a day. And, um, you know, hopefully just again, use that to move the needle. Um, my philosophy is that staying at six figures um, is really hard. Mm. Um, it's probably harder than being at seven figures because you don't have the revenue necessary to get yourself as the owner, mm-hmm. the support that you need and deserve to create the space for you to ideate and to live in the vision mm. um, and to to work more on the business rather than in it. So um, many of us continue to just stay and, and live at that hundred to $250,000 mark. And, um, you know, so I, I want to get more women past that. So I'm really excited about these pop-ups. That's going to be really fun, really fun. Well, you're always on the cutting edge, even to even to hear that update. And what a fabulous one. Thank you for sharing. You're always on the cutting edge. You're always thinking of the next thing. So it's no surprise to me that you're on the forefront of pop-ups and, and hosting. And of course, we all will be on the lookout. Uh, Sally, is there anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to? Um, I think that... I I tell people this all the time, and that is, you know, reach out to our team. If you are listening to this and you are thinking, gosh, I need more support. Yeah. um, And we have an entire team ready to help you figure out if we are the right fit for you, Mm. if we can help you scale your business. If we cannot, we are going to be the first ones to tell you. (laughs) Um, We do tell people no all the time simply because, right, the age or stage of business they're in isn't yet, maybe they're not yet ready or, right, there's a different fit um, or something that would be better for them. We're actually going to put you in touch. So let us be your resource and, um, you know, head to our website, grow with the brim dot com and um, schedule a uh, success session and, and let us see if we can help you. Yes, absolutely. Take advantage of that, ladies. I think, um, I mean, gosh, just listening to this episode, you you know, you will be in good hands. Well, Sally, it's so fun to to just um, have been able to meet you at the Southern Sea and and to know that a theme within your career has been networking and and just building on amazing relationships, both with your clients and uh, with those within your network and sphere. So I'd love to ask you, who do you know that should maybe come on and share their story? 
Well, I thought of two women. Um, one is obviously my identical twin sister. Uh, She's an incredible entrepreneur. <laughs> um, if she has not yet been on your pod- podcast, everyone on here will absolutely love her. She has built a multi eight figure business um, and it's called Hamden Clothing. So she is in that rarefied air of 0.04% of female business owners that have reached eight figures. Um, and she's done it entirely on her own. She still has a hundred percent ownership of her company um, wow. and employs close to 50 um, people. So she has a really cool perspective. Mm. Um, and then the other is a woman I got to speak with the other day and actually interviewed for my podcast. Um, and um, her name is Christy Lawrence. She is the uh, CEO and founder of Plan, mm. uh, P-L-A-N-N, which is a um, social media scheduling app. Oh, um, wow. It's the one that we use at the Brim, and it's incredible. She's out of Australia, and she is fun and fascinating. So oh. check both of those women out for sure. Oh, amazing. Well, and I love the twin connect as a twin over here. It's a must. It's a must. Twins are the best. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so we will have to, you guys, you'll have to stay tuned for a potential episode with both of those amazing ladies. Sally, thank you for such awesome recommendations. And you mentioned your website a moment ago, but where can listeners connect with you? Um, for sure, on Instagram at the Brim, and Brim is spelled B R I M M. Um, it stands for Beyond Rock Middle Movement. Yeah. So, and then the I, I am in the middle of it, as in you. Um, so that is. Um, the easiest place to connect. And obviously um, we have so many free resources as well on um, my website, growwiththebrim.com, a really great uh, masterclass on five ways to increase your revenue. So I highly recommend um, get that. It's a full um, free webinar um, and it gives you the top five ways to make that happen. So take advantage of all of the freebies we have as well. Yes. Oh, amazing. And thank you so much for referencing them. You guys head over, share some love with Sally. Give us an update on all of your thoughts. Sally, this has been such a treat and I can't thank you enough for your time and for your wisdom today. Thank you again. Thank you, Emily. It was such a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Sponsored by LBH PR Co. I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.